Greetings everyone, hope this finds you all well. This is Fikri, and this week's episode is a special recording made as a follow-up to a guest lecture session I recently conducted at Monash University, Malaysia. That lecture focused on how digital technologies have affected our formation of identities, and this is a follow-up to that. Taking a closer look at what may lie ahead in the context of screen media, how such technologies may affect pop culture, film, television, and such, and obviously, a little bit of Power Rangers chat. Hosted by Dr. Tan Meng Yeo from the School of Arts and Social Sciences, it was recorded in January 2021. May the power protect you all. Enjoy! Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special conversation, uh, Zoom conversation with uh, between two old friends, really. Um, and we're here to talk about uh, screen media. And of course, uh, we're going to talk about what that means in itself, but, but we're going to be talking about screen media, what's next, uh, the future of screen. But before we get into it, I think it's good uh, for anyone who for everyone to be introduced to both of us. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to very quickly introduce my friend here, and then uh, he's going to introduce me. Uh, then we'll get on to the topic. So I have here with me, uh, Dr. Fikri Jamadi. Uh, he's an award-winning film- Yeah, he's an award-winning filmmaker, uh, and he's an academic currently based in Nottingham, United Kingdom, but you'll find that his experience, uh, life experience and career experience kind of spans the globe a little bit. Right, so he's currently attached to the Jakarta International College as a lecturer, uh, but he's also taught at Monash, uh, Sunway University, uh, University Technology Mara, um, and he's involved not just in film, but he's also a full-fledged academic as well. He holds a PhD in Malaysian cinema, and uh, his work focuses on issues of gender and sexuality in film. Um, and that's really... Uh, just uh, scratching the surface of his research interests. Uh, but he's not just interested in Malaysia, he's also interested in the film industries in Indonesia and South Korea, for example. I think he's also spent some time in South Korea. Um, and as a filmmaker, he's been uh, at it for about 15 years or so. Um, he's a writer, he's a director, he's done film editing as well. Um, but of, among all out of all those things, the two most important points. Number one, he's an old and good friend of mine. And number two, he is, his most important expertise is that he's incredibly bad at telling jokes. So that's <laughs> my friend, Dr. Fikri Jamadi. So over to you. Yeah. Thanks very much. I think I will agree with 99% of that introduction. Um, but having said that, I think a lot of others would agree with 100% of that, uh, of, of that introduction. Hi everyone, my name is Vikri. Thank you for all your time and your attention. Today I'm, I'm going to introduce Dr. Tan Meng Yeo. Now for those of you who may not know, Dr. Tan Meng Yeo is a lecturer and researcher in the field of communication with Monash University Malaysia. Although his work is primarily rooted in the area of internet and religion, he does, like me, have a broad range of research interests. So we can sit down and have a chat with uh, Dr. Tan about Digital film, Malaysian politics, medical com- medical communication. It says here, Are you sure? Medical. Yeah, I'm currently working on it. Yeah. Oh, that's... yeah, excellent. We have to talk about that another time yeah. in another episode yeah. or, or session. Media misinformation, brother. I would imagine, and so much more, of course. Um, um, but what is uh, what is stated here? is that his most significant expertise is telling amazing jokes. That is what is stated here. Whether I would totally agree with that is probably another story, but let's just, for now, agree to disagree. Yeah. So, thank you, Fikri. So, uh, so moving I on. Facebook, I saw on Facebook your Wonder Vision joke. I, it's, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's... It's amazing. I thought of that myself. I didn't think about sharing it with people, but you did. So I guess uh, therein lies the difference between you and I. Yeah, so. it's actually the, the Wonder Vision joke is actually a rehash of an older joke about Wonder Woman, where I asked, uh, why, do, why do so many people like Wonder Woman? It's because everybody wants a woman, right? Yeah, okay. 
There you go, A plus. All right. Anyway, um, back to the topic of the video. Yeah. Yep. So, so let, let me just very quickly um, give a bit of background to what we're talking about today, and then we'll get to a couple of questions for Hickory. Um, so the topic for today is screen media, what's next? Um, so screen media is still evolving. Uh, it has been evolving since the very first photograph was taken. Right? Now, when we're talking about screen media, we're not just talking about photography, film, or TV. Uh, traditionally, that's what we grow up uh, knowing. Right? But we're also including uh, PC content, you know, content developed just for the computer's laptop. We're talking about YouTube and stuff like that. And now, of course, mobile content, content developed primarily with the phone in mind. Uh, you know, stuff you see on TikTok and, and all of that. So our conversation here is fans of the medium. Okay, not just fans of film or TV in particular, but fans of the medium, the screen. Um, it's not so much to reminisce old days, although some of that is inevitable. You can see my Zoom mm. background is already a callback to a 1977 film that I love dearly and agree as well. Uh, but to focus on the future. So today, actually, we want to, the main thrust of today's conversation is looking to the future. Uh, what do we think is going to come next for screen media? What it could mean? And what we can look forward to, or what you know, what are some hope, our hopes and dreams uh, as a practitioner or just as a regular audience? And the reason we're doing this is simple: uh, we're all still headed to the future. Uh, in a way, it's a very optimistic way of discussing the topic uh, because there is a future that we can think about, uh, and we want to talk about it so that, practically speaking, we can prepare for it. All right, especially you know for the students watching this. Um, you know, some of you might get into this field, this industry. There's no harm thinking ahead about what might come next. Uh, you know, a lot of opportunities for uh, creativity and business and so on and so forth. So we just want to spend time being, uh, you know, speculating and imagining the future a little bit. So that's basically what we're trying to do. Fikri, do you have anything to add just on, on that? No, I think by and large, you've covered a lot of what I hope to cover. Um, I do need to note how well, there will be a big part of this that will consider the downside uh, of, of a number of these technologies because we have to cover that. We're academics. Academics will always come at things and, and we will, oh, oh, we're, we're going to bring almost the bad news as much as anything else. But I hope that we can also focus on the, the more positive side of things as well. So, so yeah, that's just the only bit I want to add for now. Great. Okay, so let's kick off uh, the list of questions. We're really looking at about four questions. So I'll start with the big one. Um, so Fikri, what do you think might be the next big transformation in the world of film and TV? Uh, not just in terms of production, but also what you would like to see as a consumer and audience. Now for, just as a background, uh, the reason I'm asking this question is that uh, you and I, we, we, went, we, we went to, university together, right? We were classmates and, in, and we were both interested in film and industry and the developments. And in terms of great transformations in, in screen, in the film industry, for example, uh, we, we experienced together um, how digital technology came about and, and became the mainstream form of filmmaking, for example. It changed the way films were made from analog, old-fashioned film to, new, to digital film. And currently we are living through another transformation where audiences experience film and TV, you know, uh, through streaming, simultaneous releases, uh, TV and film convergence, so on and so forth. Now these are changes in part because of how societies function, uh, but also because technology can sustain this kind of demand. Like 20 years ago, we would not be able to release whole series of films. Um, so my question to you, long-winded, we are getting there to go back to it is what do you think is the next big transformation what would you like to see two questions in there um there's yeah there are kind of like two different parts to that question and i'll address each one uh, slightly separately i think basically uh, there's a difference between what we are going to see and what we want to see so I'll start off with uh, what we are going to see. I think in many respects, the short answer is more, um, more of more and more of the same. And when I say more of the same, what I mean is it feels like that there's a possibility that 
production companies, uh, broadcasting companies, uh, distributors and exhibitors and whatnot, they are going to look at screening more of their stuff, more online, more quickly, more of the time. So the most extreme example we have of that right now is what's going on with HBO Max, who have already made a commitment to release, I think, all of their major films in 2021 um, on HBO Max. Uh, so we're looking at Warner Brothers, the films made by or distributed by the studio, Warner Brothers. And so we're looking at films like uh, The Matrix, <laughs> looking at Kong versus Godzilla, <laughs> or Godzilla versus Kong, and a number of others. Um, and all these are going to be released uh, on on platform called HBO Max. Which I don't know is is that in Malaysia? Um, uh, I, I don't. It's no, in no. As but as but that's that's triggering, uh, and that in itself is triggering triggered a little bit of debate on uh, the Golden Screen Cinemas website because when Wonder Woman came out in the cinemas here, it turned out a lot of folks were using VPN to access HBO Max and GSC was complaining about it. Yeah. Mm. Right, right. So that that's the consideration. And certainly, uh, as, as you mentioned, Golden Screen Cinemas, we are looking at, at exhibitors being the, the, I guess you could say, the biggest group of people who will lose out um, in, in the most immediate sense, because financially, much of their livelihood, in fact, the, the main or only part of their livelihood depends on the exhibiting or the screening of all these films at the cinema. If you make it available for streaming via another platform somewhere, then the chances of people going out to the cinema is actually going to be very, very low. So an example of this we can see in the lecture slides that I uh, made for your class. And also in the lecture session where I shared a video of Christopher Nolan, uh, basically uh, being very, very negative about this whole thing. And, and I kind of, I want to say that I see his point, but unfortunately, as much as I agree with him, the practical and business realities of it all means that the cinema as a business, as a whole, will probably not recover fully until, what, two years from now, maybe? Yeah, we have all the vaccines in the world, right? We have, I think, three or four or five different types of vaccines available out there. We take the number of doses and whatnot, and now we're immune. But then there's also still that consideration that, number one, we don't really know how well all this works. And number two, the, the main point I bring that up is, I think there's still that social um, feeling that we get, if you will, where even if I see you now, even if you're vaccinated and I'm vaccinated, the first few times I see you again, you know, I love you, brother. I'm, I'm probably not going to shake your hands. Yeah, you're still going to mask gonna up. Give you a hug. Yeah. I'm still going to mask up. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and now that you do that, with that background, I'm so tempted to, to do an impression of Darth Vader, but I'll, I'll save that for another session. Um, you know, in, that I have to interrupt you. You know, in Return of the Jedi, yeah. at the scene where Darth Vader was about to die, the, you know the dialogue. I saw this great <laughs> meme. Yeah, Luke, take off my mask, but you will die. <laughs> exact words, right? <laughs> help me, help me, help me take off my mask. Yeah, but you die. Yeah. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Um, and speaking of that, speaking of memes, you, you remind me of uh, Watchmen, which ah, is okay. a show on HBO last year. Mm -hmm. and, and in that in that show, you had many scenes where officers, they had to wear masks to protect their identity. And there were many times when you see people wearing masks and people saying that masks save lives, really. So, mm. So that's the kind of stuff that, that is uh, quite a meme in its own right, I think, uh, in the current context. But coming back to the point, the fact remains that uh, we are not going to go out there, even if everything's going to be okay, even if the MCO is lifted and whatnot, the immediate reaction will not actually be all of us go to the cinemas to watch this film. There will still be some time where we need to readjust in a more social sense yeah. to the, the new old reality. So in that yeah. sense, I think in a business sense, in a practical sense, um, it makes sense to release these films uh, online to allow people to enjoy them at home in a relatively safe environment. Um, and 
this is where later on I'm going to talk a bit about how we might need to reconsider how we measure some films are successful. Mm. But nevertheless, yeah, you will see box office uh, takings going down a fair amount. But um, in terms of streaming, people streaming them online and whatnot, you will see such figures go up, I think. So mm. in that regard, I think we are going to see more of that, more studios and more platforms coming together to say, right, this is what we have. What can we do with this? Even as we speak now, I think there's um, just a quick rumor I read in the past few days that Amazon Studios uh, or Amazon, the, the platform, they are looking to, Amazon Prime, yeah, there you go. Amazon Prime, they are looking to purchase the rights to the next Chris Pratt film. So they are thinking of paying like $200 million or, or whatever it is for the rights of streaming that. And mm. the, the company is thinking about it. And you know, you look at it and you think, I would like to see this on a big screen, but in this context, that makes sense. So I feel that we are going to see more and more of that. Um, in terms of newer technologies, I feel that the first time around, our interaction with um, home media of, of virtual reality and 3D is probably not quite something that hits the mark. But I feel that newer iterations of these technologies might make it more comfortable and more efficient and more effective. So I think technologies, if people work at it, it can get better. And I think in this regard, there's a greater possibility uh, of greater acceptance of these kinds of technologies. So, and eventually, um, I can imagine in the future as well, we're talking about the Oscars and the BAFTAs and whatnot. I can imagine that a virtual reality film is somewhat um, nominated long way to go. in the major categories. Yeah. Still a long way to go. But yeah. if you're talking about what we might see happening in the future, yeah. As, a, as a result of the subsequent adaptation of these technologies on a more mainstream and, and widespread scale, I can see such films being nominated, perhaps even in its own category. So now we have, for instance, the best animation, uh, the best animated film yeah. uh, feature. So, so this is a, a relatively new thing. You know, now it's, it's like uh, an accepted thing. Right, but I, I I think it was only in the past fifteen or twenty years that it really came to the fore. Right, yeah. so when when you had films like Toy Story, when when they first came out, um, the first two toys, uh, the first two Toy Stories, I think, um, Beauty and the Beast. So you had animated films, but it's just not being created um, or, or computer generated uh, animated films. It was just not being created on the wide scale that that it is being created now. Now it is a common thing, and now it has its own category at uh, awards shows like the Oscars. So I can imagine something like this uh, changing sometime in the future as well. So that's what I think we'll see. Um, what I want to see, <laughs> I mentioned earlier um, about uh, the way of measuring how a film is, is deemed to be successful. And I think we will see newer metrics of measuring such things. So instead of just talking about uh, this show has this number of viewers or this film made this amount at the box office. I think if we have more in terms of the, the streaming figures uh, uh, that, that I mentioned in the lecture slides. So for those of you who may not know, in the lecture slides, I talked about how Netflix, they generally tend not to release such figures unless these are the figures that make them look good. But because everything is so policed and curated by the very people whose interests are very closely aligned to this, it means that the figures we do get, I will look at them and think, I'm not so sure how much I believe these figures. Yeah. Because I think at the end of 2019, they changed the way they measure a viewer. So a viewer is someone who watches two minutes of a show. If after two minutes or after three minutes or something like that, you say, oh, you know what, I don't want this anymore. And then you stop watching it. You are still counted as a viewer. So that's something that I look at and I think I wouldn't agree with that necessarily. Yeah, the drop off point, right? Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. so things like this, I think we, we might need to reconsider where, okay, you want to have those figures. We kind of maybe need to include other figures as well. That perhaps interactions on social media could become a more official part of how a television show is received. And in fact, uh, coming back to the wrestling example, 
this is something like the WWE would do a lot. A lot of wrestling shows like uh, WWE, Raw, SmackDown, um, AEW Dynamite, and a number of others, they actually do this where they do something, they have a show on, and because people are reacting to the show in real time, they will kind of, um, they have two things. Number one, they have an element, I think somewhere in the top corner of the screen, where they have a hashtag for the specific show that is on. So people can watch it and kind of interact with others on social media using that hashtag if they want. And number two, at certain points of the show, they will say that, oh, right now we are the number one trending topic on Twitter or on um, another social media platform. So something like that. Not to say that that it's going to be as immediate as that. It's not going to be like you watch Wonder Woman either in the cinema or on HBO Max and suddenly you have something popping up in the corner. Wonder Woman, number two in the world. <laughs> something like that. It's not going to work out like that. But in terms of the reports measuring the success of that particular film or TV show, I can imagine something like that uh, coming into the equation. And I would like to see that as well because as much as I personally do not really get into social media the way other people do, it is a thing. We, we can't deny that it's a thing. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the number the, of interactions on social media uh, sites, right? Exactly. The, 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 you have the good uh, ways of looking at it and you have the negative ways of looking at it. I mean, you're talking about media misinformation, right? As, a, as an area of your research interest, for instance, right? So you have good and bad as everything, but it is the thing. And so in the context of a film and television appreciation, I think um, that is something I would like to see more of because I think it gets a lot closer to what might be a more accurate reflection of how popular or how successful something may or may not be. So stuff like that, um, yeah. hopefully, uh, should come into the equation. Yes. Have yeah. I covered everything? I think. No, yeah. So about, just based on. Talked, yeah. So based on what you're talking about, there's one one question that seems to be recurring. Um, you know, during, during again, back 10, 15 years ago, when we were still students, there was this conversation about whether the cinema is going to die. And when, with digital technology coming up, is it the death of the cinema? You know, even the guy who promoted technology, you know, George Lucas himself predicted that the cinema would collapse uh, with people going in favor of TV. And now we're kind of faced with that question again. Um, of course, uh, we don't know. We don't know how long uh, the current uh, restrictions are going to be, but it's certainly going to affect the cinema. Uh, but I certainly hope it's not the end of the cinema. Look, the prediction from 15 years ago turned out to be wrong. Cinema is well and alive to the pandemic. Uh, but we're going to have to see how that turns out again. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I, I, I would I, agree. There's going to be challenges to cinema. Uh, yeah. Television was a challenge. Home video was a challenge. Yeah. Digital technology was a challenge. YouTube was seen as a challenger. And now if you want to watch films on YouTube, you can. It is a key distributing platform for so many people as well. So yeah. So That's no, right. cinema's gonna be around. It's gonna change, but it is still gonna be around. Yeah. Yeah, just like how the radio is still around, despite it being relatively low tech by today's standard. Radio still have... Gaga. Yeah. So uh so if you if you ask me the same question, that one something I think we will see is actually a natural progression from what we talked about last time. Just I'm obviously mm -hmm. we are thinking in the context of uh, the pandemic, you know. So if you're talking about how when digital technology first came out, and you know, with with like, um, you know, the early digital films, you know, you know like Sin City and so on and so forth. Uh, the <laughs> Yeah, say callback, thinking about old times. You know, uh, it's a callback. I remember that for that film, I think Quentin Tarantino did some work for Robert yeah, Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah. For was, $1. And yeah. we, you and I, made a similar deal where I would work on your film for one ringgit and then yeah. you would work on my film for one ringgit. Yeah. I think that was the kind of... Yeah, yeah, those early days. <laughs> yeah. So so the, the whole point about digital technology, the the... What, what I think our generation really liked was that it opened up the industry to not just a select few of people who could afford the technology, but everyone could do it because technology, digital cameras were so easily affordable, computers, you can do everything on your computer and so on and so forth. So I think they're seeing the continuation of that. Like you see, just to use teaching as an example, suddenly a lot of people are now familiar with green screen technology, which previously we never had. Uh, suddenly we're all familiar mm -hmm. with shooting 
uh, I mean, previously the knowledge was accessible to all, but now the knowledge is becoming used by more people, right? Um, so I think we're going to have more types of content. People are going to be able to try more things. Like last time, there were no superhero movies. Digital technology came about here. A whole bunch of superhero movies is made possible. And now, you know, just as an example, it's possible that going into the future, superhero movies are not exclusive to big studios with budgets. You can see more uh, folks attempting it because now we can. Right? We have the basics. We've learned the basics of these technologies. So that's just one thing I'm thinking about, this progression of having even more people access. They're not necessarily going to be good content, uh, but definitely I think we're going to see more people try. Then I'll take it positively. Right. That's probably okay. a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. One, just one more point that I want to add to that. Um, I, I agree with you in terms of accessibility and whatnot. So right now, as we are recording this on the 15th of January over here in the UK, 15th of January for you as well, um, we have the Malaysian International Film Festival that's going on right now. And a, a lot of its films are being streamed on the movie streaming platform, MUBI. So something else that came out of this is how now there's a greater appreciation or the greater possibility of appreciating and watching and enjoying and taking in and critically thinking about films from all over the world in the so-called um, festival uh, or film festival circuit. Because previously, if you want to watch these films, and I do want to watch all these films, I actually have to attend the festival. Yeah. Um, you know, for people who may not know, Malaysia has a fairly decent uh, film festival uh, scene. So you have like the Freedom Film Festival, you have the Sea Shorts Film Festival, uh, and a number of others. And they screen a number of great films. But previously, it's a matter of, unless you were in Penang, or in Malacca at that time to watch the Sea Shorts films, you cannot watch this film. But now, because things are becoming more and more, as you could say, normalized, right? People are being more familiar with streaming technologies and such. A lot of these um, events are also going online. So if you want to watch Edmund Yeo's latest film, Malu, for instance, jangan malu malu. You can just go to movie.com and just check it out then, you know? Yeah. Previously, no chance of that. So in the filmmaking sense, it's good as well because these are the kind of films that filmmakers can watch. Like you and I, when we made films, the, the, the first films we made, they were more a reflection of what we watched at the time. So it was just fun. It was popcorn. It was a bit of romance. Or was it captivation, right, for you? Um, goldfish for me. <laughs> a bit of drama. A bit of what we watched. And then the next stage is for filmmakers to go to film festivals and watch all these other films that are critically acclaimed, that are thought-provoking, that push the boundary. So, so you watch these films and then that, that sets you off on another level or another trajectory in your film career. So, and previously that would have been a lot more exclusive. If you cannot go there, you cannot watch them. But yeah. now it's a lot more accessible. So I think the impact could, could also be more widespread in that sense. Yeah. So great. Uh, I'm going to move on to the next question. So we're going to shift the focus a little bit. Uh, still on the future, um, but just now when you mentioned we can look at the field a little bit more critically, this is kind of where we're headed. So with all these kinds of accessibility that we're talking about, um, do you think that the rise of all these streaming services, for example, do you think it'll lead to a new kind of monopoly, new kind of not just well, commercial monopoly uh, and also cultural monopoly. Like in the past, we always talk about the three big industries, uh, Hollywood, Bollywood, and Hong Kong. And now, of course, we have a couple of other uh, major industries like South Korea, Japan. Like, will, it, will it be a kind of hegemony or do you think there'll be a greater distribution, both commercially and culturally? I think the short answer will be yes. There will be a slightly different kind um, of, I guess you could say, hegemony or, or cultural monopoly. But I think that has to be contextualized, uh, again, based on the, the communities or the countries that we are talking about. So if we're talking about uh, Malaysia, for instance, I feel that in, in the Malaysian context, uh, there already is uh, a separation between the appreciation of 
national and international cultures, um, which is not necessarily, necessarily to say that it's negative either way. But I think the one anecdotal evidence that I can share in my experience is, is somewhere along these lines. So you teach at Monash Malaysia. And in a Monash Malaysian context, if you teach your students, uh, you teach in English and all this kind of stuff, after class is done, um, you know, people will go out, go to the cafeteria or go to their other classes. But as they are leaving, the language that uh, they tend to use would be English, by and large. Um, you know, you have people maybe, you know, the Koreans will speak in Korean to each other, for instance. But the Malaysians in Malaysia, studying at a, at a university in Malaysia, amongst themselves, they will still speak in English. And I'm not saying this is a good or a bad thing, but I'm contrasting this with a place like Indonesia, where I teach in English and we all interact primarily in English in class. But once class is done, my Indonesian students who just now would be very comfortable speaking in English would turn to each other and speak to each other in Indonesian. And, and in the bigger picture, there are also some factors that affect this. But the point I'm trying to make here is that in a place like this, in this context of Jakarta and Kuala Lumpur, for instance, in the very specific communities that we are interacting with on a day-to-day -day basis, um, in the Indonesian sense, you do have more people interacting with more of international, uh, of more of Indonesian uh, cultures, languages, so on and so forth, on a more regular basis. You know what I mean? In Malaysia, it's a little bit more splintered, so you can have people who if they wish to enjoy only a certain type of entertainment, if they wish to speak only in a certain type of language and still live a long and fruitful life in Malaysia, they can do that. And, and that's actually a good thing as well. But in the context of uh, cultural appreciation, it can, in this sense, lead to a greater separation. So coming back to the point, will the rise of streaming services lead to a new cultural uh, monopoly or hegemony? I think it can do because if you are somebody who grew up on Netflix, for instance, and you become more familiar with stuff on Netflix or YouTube and all this kind of stuff, um, chances are you are going to be far more familiar with the cultural output that are not from Malaysia, which means that if you and I want to sit down and have a chat about a Malaysian film, um, it, it might not really happen because we, we don't do that. And similarly, if I want to sit down and have a chat about a particular uh, kind of film with you. Um, I don't know, I, I actually don't know this. Uh, are you into Christian films by any chance, mate? Um, uh, I know this sounds- not, 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 to be honest, not really. Uh, not as much. Yeah, so not, I'm, I'm kind of being very bad here. This yeah. is me being very stereotypical, so it's probably yeah. not a good thing of me. But the point is, it's like that. So if it's Christian films, for those who don't know, certainly in the United States, they are, they are a very big uh, category there's a lot of films they they use for a relatively low budget, but in a pre-COVID uh, context, they make a lot of money at the box office. So there's a great viewership there. Yeah. And some of these films are pretty good as well, actually. So, but that's the yeah. thing because yeah, I don't familiar with some of them. watch. Yeah. yeah, but because I don't watch these films um, on a regular enough basis, we can't sit down and talk about that. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. So, so in this sense, I think that there will be a kind of uh, greater separation in uh, in terms of national and international, or on Netflix cultural appreciation. Maybe it's not even Netflix or not not even uh, international cultural appreciation. Maybe it's going to be something like the third culture kids. The, um, are you familiar with that concept? Uh, uh, kids. I think. Remind me. I heard kids of it. Who are like, yeah. Yeah, so third culture kids are basically groups of people who are not particularly anchored in one specific mm. geopolitical or, or yeah. social cultural context because I think by and large they they I think they swirl around in, yeah. in, in a variety of, of, of more international um contexts that so they tend to attend international schools or yeah. they move around because their parents are diplomats or or it yeah. could be uh, their parents work for the army and then they get shifted from one part of the country or one part of the world to the next. Yeah. So they don't really put down roots in one place. So in terms of the, the cultural appreciation, they tend to appreciate more of just the things that they can access on a more global scale. 
So if you move from Malaysia to the United States, you can still watch Stranger Things, for instance. Yeah, but no, no, in the, in the sense with the whole third, sorry, with the whole third culture thing sorry, you're talking yeah, about, the, if, you know, just to, just to jump on that a little bit, if let's yeah, say yeah. you're, if let's say you're traveling, right, you're, or not traveling, your family travels, right, and, and you're not rooted to a particular geographical entity, okay, or a geographical mm. culture, for example, then the one, then the one long-lasting cultural input, for example, would be a streaming service, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's the thing that you can access on a global level. Yeah. yeah. Even yeah. even right now, even right now, for those of you who don't know, I'm a Malaysian. My wife is Indonesian. My son has both Malaysian and Indonesian nationalities. But for the most part, since his birth, he has he has grown up in a more Indonesian context. But now that we are here in the United Kingdom you know, um, he doesn't get to appreciate as much. It is just not there, right? You have to make an effort to go online to really look for all this. Um, if you want to watch an Indonesian film, if it's on Netflix, yeah, great. If it's not, then, you know, you, you hope that it's on one of the other platforms so that somebody somewhere is, is going to make it available in perhaps in a, in a sub-legal sense. But the point is, the chances of him interacting with aspects of Indonesian or Malaysian culture is going to be a lot smaller compared to him. Right now, he's into Power Rangers. We just started, brother. I don't know, I haven't told you this, but we just started Power Rangers. Yeah, and we're talking about the old one, the one in, in the mid-90s. That's what yeah. he's getting into right now. It's so Morphin Time. Almost every day. The mighty Morphin Power Rangers. <laughs> His favorite is the Blue Ranger. Um, I don't it's know why my Ranger. wife... Uh, every time, every time I tell my wife that I used to be the Red Ranger when I was playing with my friends, no, no, I, I was the Red Ranger. Laugh a lot. I just yeah. have no idea why. I was the Red Ranger, brother. No, I was the um, Red Ranger. But I think we just have to coexist. Yeah. No, I always get <laughs> into. I, to, I, <laughs> I always get into discussion with friends about whether the Red Ranger or the Green Ranger is better. Which to me is the Red Ranger, but it's, it's got to be the Red Ranger. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but you know, we're, we're the clean cut guys, you know. Um, if you're a bit more of a bad boy, <laughs> I think your alignment yeah. will be a lot more towards the green range than the red range. Yeah, so, but nevertheless, coming back to the point, that's what we are interacting yeah. with right now. Right? Yeah, so yeah, you know, the is my kid a third culture kid? Oh, maybe. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing about, about, about cultural monopoly or hegemony is. is uh, not just commercial in a sense, but it's also, and it's not just not just about local culture in a sense, but associate, the associated values and uh, things of interest, for example. And this came up recently in Malaysia, you know, there, there were people who talked about how Netflix, um, because a lot of Netflix originals contents have a lot of uh, sexual themes and they're a little bit more violent than what we're used to in the past. And it's becoming a bit of a norm mm, in their mm. content. And there's been some complaint by some quarters about how we need to restrict Netflix and have our own local streaming services. So when we talk about cultural monopoly and all that, there's, there's always going to be the discussion about uh, whether a foreign, when I say foreign, I don't necessarily mean American, but a non-local culture infiltrating uh, what should be known as our culture. Of course, again, that's very subjective, but uh, there comes a lot of, yeah. you know, when we talk about mo cultural monopoly, there's, there's a lot of social territorializing going on in that sense, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not just a media-based thing, of course. Yeah, of uh, course. Yeah. In some cases, people rightly or wrongly link it to, you know, the less pleasant things of life. Um, so, yeah. so it, it is what it is. But it means that in, in that sense, and coming back to the point, um, I think at least in Malaysia, you, you probably can have that separation. In yeah. Indonesia, maybe less so. Uh, and also, you do have to bear in mind that I think the Netflix uh, subscribers in Indonesia is actually relatively small because um, how do I put this? So in Malaysia, if you go and walk or drive past a low-cost flat, for instance, you will still see a lot of people who have Astro satellite dishes yeah. um, outside these flats. You know, so so economically speaking, you're probably not um, so-called, you know, uh, close to the top or upper echelons of society, but you, you still have 
Astro, or you still have something like that. And so stepping up to the next level to get something like Netflix is actually um, is, is seen as more okay. But in Indonesia, the number of people who actually subscribe to satellite television, I think it's less than 10% of the population. Um, maybe, just, maybe just into double figures. Definitely not close to 20% of the population. Um, and so in that regard, the p number of people who subscribe to Netflix in that context, I think it's also going to be at that kind of number. Um, you know, people are not going to be as exposed to Netflix um, and other such streaming services in the same way um, at the same level in Indonesia. So in Malaysia, it will have a certain impact. In Indonesia, it's going to be a different story. In the UK, it's just a greater establishment of the pre-existing scenario because um, partly because everything here is actually so digital. Um, the, the one thing, it's not really about media or television or whatever, but the one thing I really had to get used to was paying for everything using my card. And when I say everything, I mean going to pay for a can of Coke or anything just, like that. Just, just tap on everything. You're right? done. Yeah. So it's just, just tap on everything. It's all digital. Yeah. And I, that took some getting used to for me, right? But that kind of gives you a picture of how the, the uh, ubiquity of digital technologies therefore makes it a lot easier for people to just get on board with things like Netflix, like ITV mm. Hub, like the BBC iPlayer, uh, and so on and so forth. So, so it's I think a convenient, it's a convenient context. approach, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a more convenient approach yeah, in, yeah. in terms of the acceptance of technology as well as the acceptance of the kind of cultures yeah. that, is that is made available through these technologies. So yeah. you say something about violent things and whatnot on Netflix in Malaysia and people being upset about it, that's not the concern here. Yeah. Um, so I think in, 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 uh, in this context, the, the so-called Netflix impact uh, on, on cultural hegemony or monopoly is very different compared to that in Malaysia well, and in, in Over the there, you all have to argue about the crown and whether it's a good representation of the British royal family or not. And have lawsuits. You know, what, you know what, what happened recently? Oliver Dowden, the culture minister, uh, uh, yeah, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Really, the yeah. media culture minister, he actually came out and yeah, said that right, you know, yeah. Netflix should put statement at the start of every episode to say that this is actually not uh, yeah, so a documentary yeah. or something like that. It's yeah. fiction based. Um, yeah. It's not It's not fact. So, so, so <laughs> every now and then there's still the grappling with uh, cultural representation even in a huge content producer like the UK as well. Yeah. Yeah. True. True. I think maybe every now and then and, and for some groups of people I will say that uh, What about the British family in this case? Yeah, it's some groups of people will look at it and think we kind of need to do something about this, and then there'll be others who'll say, "Nope, we don't care. Let's just yeah. watch and enjoy." So, yeah. Okay, that's great. Um, shared a lot of your thoughts here. We we want to kind of bring this session to a bit of a, to a close. So, um, we want to end with um, you know, just again a, a bit of a tapping on our imagination a little bit. All right, so. This is just more for everyone, okay? So we, we are moving into the future, right? How do we think about uh, the future of screen media or film or TV or art in general? Okay, so, so we broaden the question, just art in general, about music, so on and so forth. How do we think of the future of these industries optimistically, you know? How would you go about it? Mm. I think the, the thing we have to bear in mind is choice and control. Um, we, as members of the audience, we do have more of both in terms of choice. I think we talked about earlier how in many respects, we have so much more than we would have had otherwise. I mean, just, just when you and I were starting out, for instance, we were very limited to what we see in the cinemas and, and, and maybe to a certain extent, you know, what we, what we get to see in, in, uh, from our, local suppliers of uh, slightly less legal uh, content on DVDs or whatever, <laughs> you know, um, DVD shops like that. Um, so we're kind of limited to that in a way. But now you just have so much more. And to be honest with you, it's probably a bit too much. But if you want to look at it about uh, optimism, uh, if you want to see it in a more positive sense, 
I would prefer this compared to the ones from before. I, I would prefer this scenario. And I think in the future, we will have, like we mentioned earlier about Wonder Woman being screened on HBO Max. You know what? It's, it's probably not going to be the exact same thing to watching it in the cinema on the big screen and all this kind of stuff. But you get to watch it in a, in a way that you feel safe in the comforts of your own home yeah. um, with your family with you and, and all this. Thing. And rightly or wrongly, it is more convenient. And so I think that this is basically a context where we have more avenues to enjoy more content at our own pace. So, so that is something that I, I, I greatly appreciate on a personal level. Like I said, you know, film festivals, I would not have been able to see yeah. all these films before. Yeah. Because I was, you're, you're just in one place. Yeah. At any point in time, in a physical sense, you're just in one place, either in Malaysia or Indonesia or in the UK. So you're limited only to that. But now in this context, if I really want to, if, if I need to, I'll fire up the VPN. If I really want to, I'll subscribe to Ruby. And then if I really want to, I can watch all these films at the Malaysian International Film Festival. Yeah. As a filmmaker, for me, um, on the one hand, it is showing a kind of support to my friends uh, because these are films that they have made. I want to watch these films. And, and then I can later on say, hey, brother, your film is terrible. <laughs> so so you, can't, you can't have that opportunity to say that. Um, yeah. I'm not saying that the films are terrible. I'm just saying that you, know, you can react to that. If you yeah. don't see it, then you, your chance of reacting to, to anything is just going to be minimal. Um, so, so, I mean, in the past, due to, due to having no money, yeah. you might not even be able to attend a film festival where your film is being screened. Exactly. I've yeah. had that before. Where was yeah. it? Oh, I can't remember now. It's somewhere. But there was one, one festival it was selected for. I could not attend. Um, having said that, I, I'm not trying to denigrate the real-life uh, film festival scenario yeah. because, because that can be fantastic as well. Yeah. But the real-life festival scenario is also one that is a lot more exclusive. And like you said, if you can make it, you can, you, you can make it. If you can't, then you're stuck. All right? So... So yes, so, so in that regard, I think that's something that I, I greatly appreciate. So I feel very optimistic about that. And I hope that even if we do get back to a norm of some kind, mm -hmm. that in the future, we can have a hybrid version where you can't have sea shorts in Penang or in um, Malacca and whatnot. And that's great. But if there's an online version of what's going on, I think that can be a positive thing as well. Um, so that's... Uh, some of these channels should be kept open, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Now, we, we're getting used to this now. If yeah. you take some of this away, there will be some people who will be happy about it, but there will be others who will think, and, and people like me who will think, you know what? I want to attend C Shorts, or I want to attend Freedom Film Fest, yeah. or I want to um, check out the, you know, Malu by Edmund Yeo, uh, without being discriminated against the fact that I'm just not around um, That's right. in the country. You know? yeah. so, so I think that there will be people like me who will look at this and say, I would like at least a, a version of this to, to remain accessible for groups of people um, in the future. Um, so I think if we can maintain this, I think that is a positive thing. And that is something that I'm hopeful for. Um, so, so that's something that I'm, I'm optimistic about. Yeah. So, that, for, does that yeah. answer the question? No, it does. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm going to chip in my two cents as well, um, because this is also for students. Um, when, on how to think optimistically about art in general um, is to, if, I mean, not so much a piece, well, not so much an advice, but my suggestion really is to be open to new stuff, to always be open to new stuff in the context of what we're discussing. Um, it's important not to get stuck in the past. Uh, one of the things I try, try never to do, and this is true when I talk to Fikri whenever we chit chat as well, is to not keep talking about things that I liked when I was young. I mean, it's nice to talk about it, but to not do it excessively, especially when we're considering new things. Um, I have noticed that it becomes a very unproductive exercise. Uh, and oftentimes, oftentimes, it's just a way of being a little bit proud and saying, I'm older, you're young, you don't know anything, my time things were better, which while it may be fun to talk about, it actually contributes nothing to the world of art, if you know what I mean. 
uh, contributes very little. Mm. So um, just keep in mind that art will change, all right? Technology will change, um, as Fikri has mentioned, and I'm also saying now, um, all this is going to happen because life will change, all right? How we experience day-to-day -day life is going to change, how we experience work and family is going to change. And all of these changes will create new gaps, new demands, uh, new needs, new taste, right? We will want different things going into the future from an artistic point of view, right? And actually all of these is not so much good or bad, but these will be opportunities for you to make money, opportunities for you to be, to try new things, to be creative, new ways of producing content. You know, maybe you're the next new Netflix, for example, you're the, you're the new Netflix or something beyond Netflix. Um, so to think of the future optimistically is to not keep looking back at the past as a point of comparison, but to really see new opportunities, roll with it and do your best. Don't let other people tell you that uh, the past generation was better. I always tell people that everything great was done by somebody's next generation. So look to the future optimistically. So I'm going to leave the last word to Vickery. Any last words before we call it a day? I'm not so sure if I can contribute something that tops that. Uh, because I think that would have been the perfect last words for, for this session. But if, if you are to ask me, then yes, um, young young people, new generations are, are a community with, with great agency, with great power and great control. And I think that's something that is, uh, uh, is significant. It should not be taken lightly. Um, the question is probably whether we, they realize that um whether they know that um whether they appreciate it but the fact remains that as you pointed out the newer generations will always be there will always be people who will say the the previous version of whatever is better um even for us you know our older generations will probably look at us and think why are you so obsessed with power rangers green ranger is better red ranger is better who cares about that it'll be people who will say something like happy days that was so much better than ever. That was a proper TV yeah. show. And then there'll be people beyond that who will say something else is better. Yeah. So, so people will always say stuff. It will always be uh, you know, a matter of opinion. There will always be a degree of subjectivity to this. And I think that's something that, has, that must uh, be remembered. Um, you, you have great power. You have great agency. So don't forget it. It's more about how you use it and, and for what reason. Go for it. Good stuff. So on that note, um, I want to thank you, Ikri, for making the time to do this uh, hour-long session. I think there's a lot of content that you can mull over. Uh, always good to have you on any of my stuff. I hope to have you again very soon. Yeah. Likewise, thank you for having me on board. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Tan Meng Yeo. For the rest <laughs> of you, may the force be with you. Everything is okay. I just want to play. Unplug for the day.